This is episode 64 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, and Daredevil is in the middle of a soap opera mystery with a killer twist. Hello and welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. This is episode 64 and I am your host, J. David Weeder, but we're all friends here, we're all fans, we're in this together, you can call me Dave. And if you don't know what this show is all about, it's all about Marvel Comics Man Without Fear. Here I read Daredevil Comics, enjoy Daredevil Comics, and talk about Daredevil Comics. This week I have a big announcement, and I'm not exaggerating, this is actually a very big announcement about the future of the show. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is ending its run. On DaredevilPodcast.com. That's right, the show is not going away. It's moving. And where is it moving to? Well, as of episode 70, which is slated for August 23rd, and these plans are tentative, the show will be joining the Two True Freaks Galaxy of Stars. That's right, this show will become a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. And this move is a big honor for me, and I don't take it lightly. It's a it's a very gratifying feeling to become part of Two True Freaks officially where I've kind of been two true freaks adjunct for quite a while. After the trip to New York, I felt so much kinship with these people, and I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it is what it is, that I really wanted to be a part of the group. And hopefully this show benefits that site, hopefully vice versa, the site benefits this show. It's just, it's a great group of friends, and I think this show really will fit in well with it. So, again, that is slated to be August 23rd, episode 70. And I have some slight tweaks I want to do to the show that seems like a good time to implement them. Uh, But if you are subscribed to the show, I want to put your fears at rest. You will not have to resubscribe as it stands now. Thanks to the setup I have, if you're subscribed through iTunes or the current RSS link on the website. I want to be clear, that is the link on the website, not towards the bottom of the page, not the entries, the small RSS icon. You will not have to rechange anything. And that goes also for Stitcher. They're not expected to change at least where it stands now. But the flip side to that is there may be a flux of episodes downloading on August 23rd or around that weekend. As that feed shuffles from daredevilpodcast.com to the feed on twotruefreaks.com, a lot of times iTunes and other podcatchers will get confused and just start downloading a whole bevy of episodes. I'm going to do my best to avoid that as much as I can, uh, but be warned, I'm telling you up front, so everything is copacetic then. After that, though, It's going to be part of a group of shows and hosts that can only be described as epic. Two True Freaks is the most epic epicness in the known universe. So August 23rd, twotruefreaks.com will be your destination. And if you're going out there to check it out, well, why not shop through the Amazon link? You just click the Amazon.com link in the upper left-hand corner of the site. It takes you back to regular Amazon where you can do your shopping as normal. It costs no additional money, but when you check out, a portion of the proceeds from what you buy go to Two True Freaks and helps keep the lights on, so it would be supporting shows like Dave's Daredevil Podcast. So please consider shopping at Amazon through the Two True Freaks link. So that is my epic big announcement. Big changes for the show as far as how you get it, where you seek it, the company it keeps. You're not going to find more honorable people on the internet anywhere. 
So with the cat out of the bag, I'm going to go on with business as usual because we are here to do a show. I'm going to start with a couple of emails this week. The first one is from Jeff Gibson, and Jeff's subject line is Battle and Jack. Jeff writes, Hey Dave, last night I thought I would read the first issue of Battle and Jack to get ready for the Monday morning commute when I listen to your show. I'm going to put Jeff's email on pause and say this is referring to episode 56, the final installment of Daredevil 101. So back to the email. I ended up blowing through all four issues. While I absolutely love this series and I'm kicking myself for not having read it sooner. Lots of heart and maybe the best story I've read about Jack Murdoch. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it tomorrow morning. Thanks again for the show, Jeff. And Jeff, I hope my thoughts and contributions to that story did live up to that expectation. Battle and Jack was a surprise for me as well. I didn't actually know it existed until I had Marvel Unlimited and was just perusing the books available. And the cover kind of grabbed me and, you know, same thing as you. When I sat down to read it, I was just checking it out. And next thing I know, I'd read the whole thing and decided I've got to put that on the slot somewhere in this show's timeline. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Glad you dropped me a line. Glad you found Battle and Jack Murdoch and enjoyed it. That's great news. The next email is from Gene Hendricks, he of the Hammer Podcasts and the Quantum Bands Podcast, who is also part of the Two True Freaks Network. And as mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Gene was part of the Two True Freaks gathering that I went to back in June. Gene and I crashed in the same hotel room and Gene blew my mind with a Star Wars idea that I don't think had ever been presented to me before. Once it did, the possibilities suddenly opened up, and that can be found at thehammerstrikes.com. But Gene writes, Dave, first of all, I want to thank you for playing the Comic Book Fight Club promo on your latest show. I hope that any of your listeners that do try that show don't rage quit Dave's Daredevil podcast due to the content. Secondly, I want to thank you for bringing back your show. I'm not a huge Daredevil fan. Oh, I had a few issues when I was a kid, but your show has made me truly appreciate the character. It's also been part of my inspiration for reading Marvel Comics, starting from the Fantastic Four number one. Your retelling of some of these older stories made me want to seek out the history of the Marvel Universe and see how everything interconnected. So as I said, thank you. Of course, I plan to tell you this in person next month, but I know how important email is to a podcast, and I was shocked, shocked, I say, to find out that I hadn't dropped you a line before now. Keep up the great work, Gene. And I'm kind of shocked too, and maybe it's my faulty memory, which you're well aware of now. I'm a scrambled egg up in my brain pan, but I swear I thought I have read an email from you, so I'm not sure. Maybe you have dropped an email and we've both forgotten it. But as far as your journey through the Marvel Universe, you're about to have an up and down ride. But there were things where I was pleasantly surprised and had my opinion of it changed for the better. And there were incidents that had been hyped up for a long, long time that really didn't play out the way I thought it would, or at least not with the epic grandeur that I expected. Regardless of that, it's a huge, huge journey, and by about 1968, once you hit there, there's so much that begins coming into the equation, and that's when the Marvel Universe really explodes. So you're on a very special journey, and the fact that I, in any way, shape, or form, started that makes me feel fantastic. So thank you for dropping that line. And of course, next month was last month, or two months ago, since this is coming out in August, so Gene and I have already had conversations, but oddly enough, this didn't actually come up. Then again, we were very, very distracted by a lot of different things that weekend, including Star Wars and Star Trek trivia. I always thought I knew a few things about both of those. Turns out, not as much as I thought. Either way, thank you, Gene, for dropping a line. I really appreciate that email, and Jeff, I appreciate your email. I hope, again, the show lived up to what you expected as far as the coverage of that particular story. And I'm looking forward to continuing the show over at TwoTrueFreaks.com, where I will be a compatriot with Gene and part of the Two True Freaks proper. But this week, we've got 
really the second part of a two-parter. And Daredevil is off to California searching for Karen and finding himself right in the middle of a soap opera. So without further ado, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a promo for Gene's show, The Hammer Podcasts, and then I'll be back with Daredevil number 66 right after this. Star Trek. Comic books. Mythology. Video games. Toys. Star Wars. Just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by two true freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with. And be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. And we are back. To fill in the gaps between where we left off last week and where we're picking up this week, Karen left New York for L.A. She just got tired of Matt's crap and just went. And of course, Matt, a.k.a. Daredevil, followed her all the way to L.A. just like he's Pepe Le Pew or something and she's got a white stripe painted down her back. While in L.A., he had a run-in with the reformed stuntmaster and stiltman in issue 64 and finally tracked Karen down in issue 65. So we catch up with Karen as she's doing this little acting gig on a gothic soap opera called Strange Secrets. The show's villain, Brother Brimstone, is played by an actor named Ross Archer, who was about to be fired due to the show's low ratings. Karen also met actor Vince Sterling, who plays the heroic magician on the show, and later stumbled on Archer assaulting somebody and Daredevil saved her. Awkward times ensued. But things got really sticky when Brother Brimstone arrived on the set with a dead body, like a cat bringing a dead mouse to the door. There was a scuffle with Daredevil and Brimstone got away. But the body was revealed as Ross Archer, you know, the guy that played Brother Brimstone. So we find ourselves with Daredevil number 66, the July 1970 issue, catching up on a murder mystery. And the cover to this issue shows Daredevil stuck in gooey black tar, and he is sinking fast as two woolly mammoths watch the man without fear struggle against the sludge. First thing I'm going to point out here is we do have a brand new Daredevil logo on the cover. It's less curved, a little less fun, a bit more serious. Instead of Here Comes Daredevil, it simply says Daredevil, the man without fear. It's kind of a plain font, but at the same time, it doesn't suck. It works. Now, as for the cover image, if you're looking at it at a glance, you find yourself wondering, what kind of Flintstones crap is this? I mean, is Daredevil going to time travel? Why do we have woolly mammoths? Now, I can deal with an occasional infusion of sci-fi, and, you know, we're used to urban adventures, of course, with Daredevil. They're more my speed, but there's no way I could be sold on a full-on time travel caper. Nope. No worries, though. I'll be honest with you. This does reflect the story inside. It's just a bit misleading, as you'll see. So no Flintstone stuff, nobody's putting a big rack of lamb on the side of Daredevil's car until it tips over. It's a fairly straightforward murder mystery. Now one note I will make is Daredevil's eyes, they have a cool goggle effect. Because you actually see Matt's full-on squint here. And it makes me think of when Alex Ross would do uh, Green Goblin. 
which was one of the more effective characters Alex Ross put to the page, you actually believed the goblin mask was just that, a latex mask, and the yellow eyes were big goggles. That's kind of the effect we're seeing here with Daredevil. It's a cool effect, and I don't see it used often at all. But as for the story inside, it is entitled, In One Cried Murder, written by Roy Thomas with pencils by Gene Colan, inks by Sid Shores, lettered by Artie Simic, and the one and only place you can find this reprinted, Essential Daredevil Volume 3. That's right, it is not available digitally or through the Marvel Masterworks. But jumping into the first part of the story. Daredevil watches as the funeral procession for Ross Archer, the actor who played the monstrous brother Brimstone on Strange Secrets, passes into a church. Daredevil thinks about the inevitability of death as the procession proceeds, because that's what a procession does. Daredevil is able to sneak inside the church as the funeral progresses and makes notes of all the mourners who could be, in reality, Archer's murderer. As he watches, Daredevil thinks back on his run-in with Brother Brimstone at the soap opera set and the revelation that Archer was the victim. But a Los Angeles detective spots the man without fear and tells him that his help isn't needed, nor is it wanted. As the funeral ends, Daredevil watches the mourners exit and feels a swell of jealousy as he spots leading man Vince Sterling comforting Karen Page. And Karen voices the same concern that Daredevil carries. With a madman on the loose, are any of the cast members of Strange Secrets safe? So let's take a moment and talk about the story so far. We open to a splash page that, well, features more Spanish architecture than superhero. Granted, this is at a very cool tilted angle, and the architecture itself is gorgeous. It looks very real, very true to life, and I'm assuming Colin had some sort of visual reference for a church of this type. Looking closer at the image, the pallbearers carrying the casket as well as the officiate, they all look distinctive until they start trailing off a little bit more into the shadows. It's kind of a static image, nothing exciting, but the details really stand out. Now, I have to point out that the dialogue here is, Daredevil is thinking about Ross Archer, more mourners than I could have imagined. Still, I suspect a few of those below are relatives. Most others are business associates, and perhaps one is his murderer. It's very, very soap opera-like dialogue. And then that kind of segues into this scene where Daredevil ruminates on death and how it will come for all of us. And I immediately thought of Captain Picard's speech on time in Star Trek Generations, which in my opinion is a very underrated Star Trek movie. Let's kind of be honest about Daredevil here. He's kind of become a creeper. First, he follows Karen to Vermont and reveals his secret, and now he's stalking her to L.A. And stalking her at a funeral, no less. That's kind of tasteless a little. Let's be honest, if Matt really just could not live without Karen, how hard would it be to just stop being Daredevil? And granted, for us Daredevil fans, that wouldn't work. Simple mechanics, if you have a character that stops being a superhero, you no longer have a superhero comic. Of course, Daredevil's skulking around this church, and I have to say, the church's interior is drawn so true to life that I practically hear organ music when I look at it. And uh, we have this big recap section where the flashback sequence takes us basically through issue 65, which to me was a standout issue. It had a great twist in the person that you thought was the killer is actually the victim. We've kind of lost some of the borderline gothic look of that issue. Colin did a great job rendering the fog and sort of reflecting the gothic feeling of Strange Secrets. However, the fact that this recap here compresses that whole previous issue into a few panels not only is a great feat, it kind of makes me wonder just how much depth that issue really brought to the table. And of course, just like any good murder mystery, we get suspects. And we get them laid out for us. Suspects include Bill Wheeler, the director of the show, Vince Sterling, the lead actor, 
Ed Winthrop, which is the show's creator, and Lester Leroy, a special effects makeup artist. Now, to be honest with you, as far as action here, this is a bit of a snoozer. We're just seeing static shots of the suspects. Without the context, this is just boring. A lot of times you can look at Colin's art, and even if it's a conversation between Matt and Foggy, there's something dynamic. There's some sort of energy to it. Here, not so much. And one thing I will compliment, though, just to kind of show the other side of the coin, is that looking closely at a specific panel of this page, I'm not going to tell you which one yet, looking at that panel and the facial expression of that specific suspect kind of gives away the mystery. It tips its hand without really throwing it all on the table. Story-wise, unlike Crime Wave and other typical Marvel mysteries where we basically just have the suspect blatantly introduced, so by the time you get to the end of the mystery, well, you pretty much know there's only one person who could be the villain. Basically Scooby-Doo style. Contrary to that, this is actually a compelling whodunit. With that Brother Brimstone twist, legitimate suspects, this is a proper murder mystery, something Marvel had a hard time doing in the 60s. And even though Daredevil's trying to help, he does not get a warm reception from the local police, especially Lieutenant Nately. He's oddly a Joe Friday type. He's hard-nosed, he's by the book so naturally down the road he's going to be partnered up with a trigger-happy loose cannon. That all happens off-panel, in my headspace. But it happens. I promise you that. And of course we have Matt feeling jealous. Jealous of Vince Sterling, strapping leading man. And I can't help but think, you know, Matt, maybe if you actually kept the promise that you voluntarily made after tracking Karen down the first time, there'd be no need for jealousy. And that's something about Daredevil. We don't always like his choices. He's very much flawed. And let's be honest, we all screw up. I don't know anybody anywhere that's ever had just a perfect relationship run where everything just ran smoothly. Every single moment of every day in that relationship just does not happen. I'm sure many of us have had relationships that are just straight-up train wrecks. So, we get where Matt's coming from. He's not perfect. He's not great. I mean, look at Clark Kent and Lois Lane. They were ideal. They understood each other. They had conflict, but they did things right. Matt? Well, let's be honest. We know Matt's not great in the romance department. And looking at strapping Vince Sterling, I understand the jealousy. I mean, really, the part of Vince Sterling could be played by a very young James Brolin. He's manly. He's got a wicked cool beard. And I, on that note, I, I imagine that since he's playing the good magician on Strange Secrets, he is the Doctor Strange analog. We're getting some meta Doctor Strange commentary here. Which, I mean, let's be honest, this issue is very meta. Soap opera plot based in comic books which have soap opera plots. And while we don't get a lot of standout action here, we do get a panel of Daredevil walking away with the dust billowing up around him, and it almost has a western feel. Very lonely. You almost hear the Joe Harnell Hulk music playing just as Daredevil sadly walks away from the woman he loves. And I have to imagine this is intentionally tongue-in-cheek. The story has to be playing up the soap opera atmosphere, right? Well, how much further down that rabbit hole do we go? Let's jump into the second part of this story and find out. Work resumes on the set of Strange Secrets and Karen is accosted by special effects man Lester Leroy. Leroy shows Karen a mysterious set of blueprints, but Vince Sterling interrupts the conversation. Leroy hides the blueprints as the cast is assembled to make a fateful decision. The network is happy to keep Strange Secrets on the air since the death of Ross Archer has boosted the show's profile, but it's up to the cast and crew to decide the fate of the show, so they vote via slips of paper and the vote is to continue the show. 
Daredevil takes this opportunity to snoop around and finds Leroy's blueprints for an exoskeleton to replicate Brother Brimstone's size and strength. And as Daredevil studies the blueprints, Brother Brimstone arrives and knocks our horned hero out cold. When Daredevil awakens sometime later, he realizes that Karen is gone and finds a note from Lester Leroy asking her to meet. Karen has gone to meet Leroy at the Labray Tar Pits, but she may be meeting the killer himself if Leroy is in that exoskeleton. With no time to waste, Daredevil rushes to the Tar Pits to stop Karen from getting herself in too deep, literally. Okay, taking a look at this, the first thing I thought was, oh look, Karen's stint on the show is conveniently extended to serve the plot. Of course, we can't just have Karen and Daredevil move on and not solve this mystery. There's not much of a story to that. And looking here as Karen is hanging around, Karen's dress is, I I just, I feel like I'm looking at old family pictures. Again, we're in the 70s for the first time, and we're seeing some 70s couture, that's for sure. It looks true to life. If that's good or bad, I will leave completely up to you. Your mileage may vary. Then we have Lester Leroy, and sheesh, the creepiness just oozes off of Leroy. It's something that's hard to congratulate Colin on, but he sells it. I mean, Lester Leroy is that guy who would sit in the gym bleachers with an ecto cooler and a bag of Cheetos every morning watching cheerleader practice. We all know that guy. But, you know, honestly, I gotta say, beyond the nice visuals of the opening locale, that architecture, Colin in this issue doesn't get a chance to really shine. If you've got Gene Colin as an artist, don't give him conversation pieces, give him something dynamic. Let him run with it. Now, as usual, the faces and expressions, they look great. But the plot just feels like it's constraining Colin. I mean, thankfully, the characters do look good. There's just not much there that they're doing. However, we do have Vince Sterling in his turtleneck, which is so hot right now. It's sailor chic is what it is. And he comes rolling in trying to figure out what the stuff that Leroy is showing to Karen is. Surely this blueprint won't be important to the plot. It's just random. Of course. Now, let's kind of talk a little bit honestly here. And some people will disagree with what I have to say. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but there's talk that the show now has a higher profile, that the ratings are coming back up and people are excited, which is leading to the vote. That's all thanks to the murder that happened there. Let's kind of be honest. Some instances where you have a a very large famous actor or very creepy death on set has sold movies. Furious 7, which was already going to be a big movie, but ended up being the biggest of the franchise because of Paul Walker's untimely death. And taking you back 21 years, 21 years, to The Crow and Brandon Lee's death. But let's be honest, a lot of us wanted to go see The Crow to see if there was the footage of Brandon Lee getting killed. There's a morbidity to it. And while that wasn't the only reason, that is, was a component, at least for me. It turns out that the movie really sold me and I bought in and I freaking love that movie. But there is a, a macabre element to that. And it draws people out. And what it draws here is a bunch of people putting paper slips in a trash can. That's right, Gene Colan is drawing people putting a paper slip in a trash can. I mean, granted, he's drawing a detailed camera, which gives him something to do, but it's just killing me that this is such a constrained, claustrophobic story. And I thought, I thought for a moment as the story was moving to the prop room, that we would see something like Easter eggs, something to be excited about, but it was a no-go. And of course, the blueprints are relevant to the plot. It's an exoskeleton, which puts my money squarely on Leroy Lester and his ecto-cooler. But the more I look at this, the more I go through this section especially, 
I have to wonder if the editorial mandate on this issue was, Gene, you know, as we have this fight with Brother Brimstone, let's not do a dramatic splash of Brimstone hitting Daredevil. Let's keep it tight. Okay, can we keep it tight so we have more paper slip action? Can we make that scene shine? Great. Bafo. I mean, what could have been a really nice, frightening scene to set this villain up turns into nothing but kind of a throwaway panel, just due to the constraints of the panels on the page. And it doesn't help Brimstone's case that he's saying this blow can cripple a gorilla as he's hitting Daredevil, and I think that's overselling it. It's more of a minor inconvenience at best. And of course, we discover Karen has gone to do something stupid, and Daredevil's trying to go after her, but he's run into a problem. The buildings are far apart in Los Angeles, which is not the case in New York. And you can't think about that without thinking about the Spider-Man story that Peter David wrote that had Spider-Man stuck in the suburbs with nothing to swing on. And I gotta say, the whole twist with Brother Brimstone last issue was inspired and really, really made this an interesting mystery and concept, if a bit Scooby-Doo in execution. But as we're coming to the head of this, I just want to say my money is on Lester Leroy. In the study, with the candlestick. Am I right? Let's take a look at the final leg of this story. Karen arrives at the Labray Museum and realizes that it is closing time as the lights start turning off. She makes her way outside to the tar pits themselves, and Brother Brimstone arrives to make her his next victim. Karen faints, and luckily Daredevil arrives just in time to stop Brimstone from dumping Karen into the pits. Daredevil and Brother Brimstone battle, and that fight causes both of them to end up in the sticky tar pits. Fighting in the muck, Daredevil yanks Brother Brimstone's mask off to reveal... Vince Sterling, the handsome leading man of Strange Secrets. There's enough of an opening in the fight for Daredevil to get his billy club line attached to the woolly mammoth statue on the shore. But Sterling sinks too fast in his exoskeleton and is lost to the deep black tar. With the mystery solved and the culprit permanently trapped, Daredevil confronts Karen. Karen thinks about the irony that Sterling wanted to be a star, but will likely be the star exhibit in a museum in about a million years. And scene. That's the end of the issue. So to start my final leg of notes here, the Labre tar pits are real. That's a real place. William S. Hart purchased the land and built a 22-room mansion with Western and Native American art and Hollywood memorabilia. And we actually have Karen passing a display of a mammoth skeleton, as in a woolly mammoth, not just the size of a skeleton. So this actually ends up being a great depiction of a very real display. Again, Tolan must have had good references. However, the actual tar pits that he draws show two woolly mammoths. Now, these are real sculptures. They were made by Howard Ball. In reality, there are three. Two adults, one in the water and one on the shore, and a baby. In real life, though, they are hairless. Colin throws hair on there. They look pretty much what you would see on the Flintstones, but in real life, they look like elephants. And they always have been. I double-checked that. They've always been hairless since they were installed in 1968. Fun fact, though, in 1992... The fiberglass mammoth that is in the pit came loose from its mooring and was actually caught in the tar for real. They had to bring a crane in to get it fixed. Now, the adult mammoth on the shore is actually 13 feet high and 25 feet long and weighs 2,000 pounds. So these are really, really big statues. They're not quite drawn right, but considering we're looking at the early 70s pre-Google, pre-Google Maps, not a bad depiction. But I'm ignoring the elephant in the room, or mammoth as it were. How dumb is Karen? I mean, come on, what can the mentality be? I mean, as she's entering into this, there's a murderer running around. She's invited to meet a near-complete stranger. Surely this wouldn't be or couldn't be. I mean, it is a sparsely populating meeting spot, but yeah, clearly a trap, Karen. Come on. And of course, Brother Brimstone shows up, and 
I kind of want to like Brother Brimstone. I mean, we get that it's an exoskeleton and he's this monstrous figure, but Brother Brimstone ends up being like Mr. Hyde's somewhat charismatic little brother who dropped out of college. He's like the Mr. Pibb to Mr. Hyde's Dr. Pepper. Dude didn't even get his degree and started making soda. And, you know, I thought for a moment there that with the tar pits as a backdrop, you know, this is a great spot for Colin to really give us some scenery-chewing epicness. For the first time in this issue, he's going to have something to do. No, not the case. The sequence plays out with tight panels, and that lends itself to the claustrophobic nature of the tar pit, but it would be nice to explore the space, as Bruce Dickinson would say. I can just tell that Colin's heart just doesn't seem to be in this issue. Maybe it was the soap opera plot... But, you know, let's be honest, a half-assed Gene Colon, and that's not what we have here, but if it were a half-assed Gene Colon, that's still better than almost any artist on the market. Now, the tar pits, you would think, are very dangerous. Again, we lose our villain in this, but however, from the Smithsonian Magazine, an animal could get caught in four centimeters. So yes, there is a certain degree of danger, however, and this is going to kind of ruin the end of the story, once caught, it would take months to sink. So an animal caught in a small bit of the tar pit would slowly sink over time. In fact, the most dangerous thing about that is that leaves them open to other predators. And that ain't good. And of course, we find out good old Vince Sterling is the killer. Vince Sterling was a logical choice. With Ross Archer out of the way, he would have top billing. And with the mystique of the brother Brimstone murders, the show would be poised for top ratings. With any mystery, the most outstanding question to ask is, who benefits? And Vince Sterling most certainly would benefit. Now, Colin does manage to deliver some top-notch suspense in this issue as Sterling sinks. I mean, time just ends up working against Daredevil. And it ties it back to his thoughts at the beginning of the issue about the inevitability of death. It comes for every man, and unfortunately, it does come for Vince Sterling. However, let's be honest, as I just mentioned, it would take months for Sterling to sink. Plenty of time to get him out of the pits or call the authorities. Which, which, let me point this out. After all of this, Sterling's just sunk into the muck, assumed dead. Karen and Matt just walk off, like they're headed for breakfast at the Huddle House. Nobody bothers to call the cops. So why was Lieutenant Nately even in this story? He didn't present a plausible red herring. He did nothing. And I would think that would be just one less person to draw. We don't have him coming in at the end and delivering some pithy line like it was love that killed the beast. No, we have nothing. And let's be honest, I kind of blew the ending when you think about it. As Vince Sterling is sinking into the muck, it would have taken months for him to sink. At least hours. It's not that fast. So in the real world, Daredevil would have time to call Nately. They could bring a crane, get Sterling out, and he would face justice. All is good. Here's another hole popped in this story. The mammoth sculptures that we see here in the pit itself actually sit about 20 feet, and I'm being generous with this amount, about 20 feet from Wilshire Boulevard. Fully visible from the road. A literal stone's throw. You could stand on the road, throw a stone, and hit the mammoth sculpture. And let me add that the museum is shown closing here. Looking at their hours, they close at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Now, depending on the time of year, it may not be daylight, but the whole fight would have been visible. Somebody would have called the cops. So, while we have a character getting his just desserts, and yes, it ties into the theme of the beginning of the story, the ending just left me cold. So let me go into a final verdict here and kind of sum everything up. I'm torn, to be honest with you. It's a good mystery, I will admit that. We have a pair of valid twists and turns. The idea that Ross Archer would have been the prime suspect who was actually the victim was compelling. And that the good magician, quote-unquote good, Vince Sterling, was the bad guy. 
On the other hand, though, was it a good Daredevil story? No, not really. While I appreciate the meta-textual element of the soap opera setting for a soap opera plot, we just have a, an issue where three-fourths of the book, Daredevil has nothing to do. It feels a bit like a reheated story for the earlier days of Pulp Tales, Twilight Zone-style stories, things like that, pre-Fantastic Four. Really, the only distinctions are Daredevil appearing, and an exoskeleton is somewhat involved. In and of itself, it manages to be smart and interesting if the ending doesn't quite work when put up against intense scrutiny, but it wastes Colin's time and Daredevil's. This could have been pitched and worked as an Outer Limits episode rather than a superhero comic. But for the sake of being pithy, if Matt had actually retired when he told Karen he intended to, Vince Sterling could well be alive. So all in all, meh. Very conflicted, and I'm actually considering letting this randomly chosen issue thing go. Because I always thought it would be fun to pull apart bad issues, but when they're lukewarm, not so much. So to that end, next week Daredevil teams up with the Avengers as New York is taken hostage, and only a few heroes are able to stop the threat of the Zodiac Key. That is next week leading us into crossover madness, more or less, as the week after that, we'll be looking at Iron Man and Daredevil getting wrapped up in the affairs of Tony Stark. Things are going to get real, as in real trippy, going forward for a few issues. But that wraps me up for this week. In between now and next episode, please feel free to visit DaredevilPodcast.com. There are links there for iTunes, the RSS feed, and Stitcher, whichever suits your needs. An easy-to-use contact form, or if you want to email the show directly, it is mail at DaredevilPodcast.com. If you're out and about on social media, find me. I'm at facebook.com slash daredevilpodcast and twitter.com slash daveweeder. Until we meet again, my friends, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.